Now coming up on stage will be our Executive Vice President and General Manager of Baseball Operations, Jerry DePoto. Thank you. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, I guess first I'll, I'll start by retracking our steps through this offseason. You know, the first time I was in this room with, with all of you, we talked about a plan, you know, what we wanted to do with this offseason, how we wanted to structure this roster, and some of the tenets that we most significantly believed in in, uh, in moving forward as an organization. And now as I sit here four plus months later, I, I think we, we did what we said we were going to do. And, and I feel very confident that, that our game plan uh, has been executed. Now we're going to find out as the season starts how, how good the game plan was. But you know, we, I think we did execute a game plan. We came in late September, had the great benefit of, of having been given the opportunity to, to watch the Major League Club play for the last seven days and getting to sit down and meet with a handful of the players. And obviously much has changed since then with the Major League roster, with the Major League staff, uh, some of the support areas of the club. Uh, I know today you got a chance to meet uh, some of our people uh, that may not have been front and center with you in, in the past and others around the organization who you may be more familiar with. But the message should be consistent. And you know the biggest thing to me and I've said it to, to Jeff, to Tom, to, to, to Andy and Scott, uh, some for many years. The biggest thing for me is the, the ability to communicate. If we're effectively communicating up and down and, and side to side, then the ball doesn't drop. The players always know where they're supposed to be. They're always in a position to succeed. And moves like these that we've made through the offseason are easy to understand because we've effectively communicated them both internally, internally and externally. So I look back at this offseason and feel like we talked about the idea of being more athletic in the outfield, and, and I believe we are. We, we talked about better, uh, better acclimating or building a ball club to, to Safeco Field, and, and I believe that we've done that. We talked about building depth on a pitching staff, and you know, that may be you know, numbers one, two, and three in, the, in terms of what you want to do in any offseason. And, and I feel like we have addressed that need to, to the best degree that we could. And you know whether it's the 12 guys that we'll break camp with in April or the 20-some-odd the pitchers that are likely to pitch for us in 2016, we feel very confident that, that going into the season we've created as much depth as we could. Um, and like the group, there's been a lot of change. I believe we've, we are suited to get on base at a, at a higher clip than we have in the past because that's what our players' histories tell us will, will happen. And, and I really like the way that our major league staff has come together with, with Scott, with you know, Edgar being the lone returning member with Chris Prieto at this time. But uh, you know, bringing on Mel Stott Jr., bringing on guys like Casey Kendall and Mike Hampton and Manny Acta and Tim Bogar, it, it's just a good baseball group with a lot of different personalities. And I think they will jive very well with, with what is a very high character, hardworking group of major league players who I believe are now coming into this with a degree of high expectation for them, for themselves. And, and I think that's a positive thing. So uh, I guess with that, 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 that's my general update of, of where I think our team is at this point in time. 
we're probably done making significant moves uh, in, in regard to what you've seen uh, since the start of the general manager meetings back in November. You know, we had, we had a pretty good run of uh, activity there, but we are, we're quieting down. I guess one thing I, I could announce right now, and, and I will, is that uh, we have agreed uh, with, to terms with Gabby Sanchez on a minor league deal that is now uh, in the books, and Gabby will be with us in, in spring training. And you know we look forward to watching him compete with Jesus Montero and Stefan Romero and and uh, perhaps uh, another body or two along the way for that that partner job with Adam Lind at first base and and uh, you know Gabby a 2011 All Star in the National League played last season in Japan and uh, will come in and compete for us on a minor league contract. So uh, with that, I will I open the floor to any questions. And really, any questions either about our organization, our internal process, or the major league club. And uh, obviously, there, there's a lot to cover with, uh, with with a baseball organization. And I'm open to whatever you throw my way. At the time you interviewed, you had at least a philosophy, if not a plan, in your mind at that time. And now here we are, months later. What, if any, significant discoveries, learnings did you have that caused you to make some changes, a little bit, swerves here? You know, definitely had a game plan uh, when we came in. And, you know, like I just went back and, and retracked, I learned something every day that I've worked in baseball. This will now be 27 seasons in, in professional baseball. I've learned something every day, not every season, but every day. And I, I don't know yet what I'm going to learn today. Perhaps it's going to come from this room, but uh, I will learn something. And I learned a lot through this offseason. But we came in with a game plan on what we wanted to address, and we went out and did that. Oddly enough, as we sat, and you know, Tom Allison will probably be as good a judge of this as any, we sat in, in rooms for the, over the better part of a month, and we talked about our primary targets. And we walked out with a list of primary targets that, by and large, we were able to access. And guys that we felt like we could go, we could, we could attain. And you know, the, the biggest difference between what we do every day and what you know, somebody with a rotisserie or a fantasy league baseball you know, team may do is that you have to be realistic about what you can access and, and, and the players that you can, you can get to. And uh, I think we identified the right guys. We spent our scouting time effectively uh, where possible. And we had healthy conversation about who to, who to tap into. Uh, we fell short on a couple of guys. I won't say who they were. But uh, whether it be guys like Chris Iannetta, Leonis Martin, Wade Miley, Steve Ciszek, these were all primary targets for us. And, and we went out and, and, and brought them in. And, and that's a positive. Uh, Adam Lind was another. And, and uh, very excited about seeing how this group comes together. So uh, learned that it's never easy to put together trades, as shocking as that may seem with how our offseason went. But it's never easy to make trades. It takes two to tango. Uh, Learn that there is a great value in building relationships around the league because that's how you get things done. And learn, like in any other time, that communication rules the roost. If everybody knows what's going on and they're familiar with the game plan, nothing ever takes anybody by surprise. And that's a good thing. You guys have said that consistent communication is a key moving forward with this organization. You have the inning summit. Is pitching much more difficult? I don't think so. I, you know, I think it's uh, it's as simple. The you know the the hitting summit that we did down in Peoria was a chance to bring together a new group of people 
who were largely hearing a, a, an approach that I think is consistent with the beliefs that Edgar has and has exhibited through his career. Edgar Martinez was perhaps one of the greatest right-handed hitters I've ever watched and did a better job of controlling the strike zone than about anyone that, that you can imagine in the, the last 30 years and, and one of the best of all time. Uh, coming in and talking about the idea or, or, or the, the capacity for our own hitters to control the strike zone, it's a very easy conversation with Edgar. Yeah, he got it. And, it was a very easy thing for him to teach. And you know, obviously Scott, having had history with me before, knew that it was an important element and it's something he believes in. Tim Bogar has been exposed to this program for a number of years, he believes in it. Andy McKay is coming from a different organization we've never met and until he, we hired him here with the Mariners and he believes in it. So the, the consistency throughout our organization and what we teach our hitters was, was a, it was a no-brainer. It was very easy to transition, but now we had to get it in front of the hitters and let them hear it for the first time so it doesn't shock them. We don't want passive hitters. We're not going to, to govern or, or judge what happens or, or the way we assess our success or failures based on their ability to draw a walk. It's an advantage, but we want to, I, a matter of fact, I'll, I'll share this, I had a conversation a week or two ago with, uh, with DJ Peterson, a former first rounder. Uh, DJ did not have a great year last year, but he has great talent. And his, he's got upside ability that he needs to tap back into. And you know, I talked to him about the way control the zone or controlling the strike zone may differ between a guy like Boog Powell, who he met down in the summit in Peoria, and a guy like himself, DJ Peterson. DJ, we want him to get into that 2-0, 2-1, and 3-1 count and then go, go do some damage. Uh, Boog Powell is getting into those counts so he can find a way on base. And if both of them are controlling the zone in the way that they do, we will score runs. There's a difference between what Nori Aoki does and what Nelson Cruz does. And, and we want there to be a difference. That's how you score runs. So it's not one standard philosophy that everybody is adhering to the same uh, tenet. It, it is a, it, it's a, it's a creative functionality within the borders of a, of a, of a theory, um, if that makes any sense. There's, the pitching side is, it, similarly, there, there are control the zone elements to what we do, but they have been preached from the time most of these kids ever picked up a ball. And you know, it's not, it's not as, as shocking to them when we come in and we talk to them about the value of, of strike one. They've heard that before. The value of being ahead in counts. We want them to pitch 0-1, 1-2, 0-2, and be able to finish hitters. And we want them to, to be efficient with their pitch usage. And you know, like Jeff said when he was talking about some of our prospects, it's, it's important that we, we drill that into their, 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 their psyche. We also have Rick Waits returning, who's been here. Rick believes in these tenets. He's a voice that they've heard. It wasn't something new for him. Uh, Mel Stottlemyre, I worked with for a number of years in Arizona, as did Tom, and, and uh, he understands these, the, these philosophies. Mike Hampton, similarly, something he believes in and has been exposed to. Uh, the pitchers, what you can't do with the pitchers, which you can do with the hitter, is in a moment in Peoria, we can, we can throw the hitter a bat put him in a cage and get him hitting off a tee or a pitching machine throwing 88 miles an hour. And it's, you know, we, we just get the muscles loose and they're ready to go. We can't throw a pitcher on a mound and, and start asking him to fire. We have to build him up appropriately. As a result, what we'll do with our minor league and, and the player development 
system is bring a, a group of players in satellite camp, uh, you know, a minor league camp that's going to start right about the same day that we open up with the, the major and minor league players in late February and make sure that all of our, our top prospects and even most of our starting pitcher prospects in total are there in camp. They are getting drilled with the, the idea of controlling the strike zone in so many different ways when they're ready to pitch. And we're not ramping them up too quickly uh, because the worst thing you can do with a player is start and stop. You know, we, with, with the hitter, you can do it a little more subtly. With the pitcher, once they start throwing into their bullpen sessions, now they're, they're steadily gaining. We want them to do that, and that's when we'll, we'll, we'll hit them. On the offensive side, you've said that you brought in a lot of players that already do that and control the zone. How much of a challenge remains, or how much growth could you see on the offensive side? I think a, a ton, really. You know, one of the, the ways that we have measured uh, controlling the strike zone is just simply looking at the walk strikeout ratios and and uh, you know the, the goal being to, to keep them as close to even as possible or in a perfect world you turn into Edgar Martinez and you can flip the tables most of the players that we have have brought on board do these things very well and and you know in a subtle way we've changed the way the line of scrimmage works for us and you know home plate in, in baseball is, is very similar to the line of scrimmage in football. We're going to control that line as best we can. Guys like Chris Iannetta and Adam Lind, uh, Boog Powell, who is yet to play in the big leagues, but he historically has done this very well. Nobody in the big leagues today does it any better than Nori Aoki. He draws a fair amount of walks. He doesn't strike out very much. He's, uh, he's the hardest player to strike out in baseball, fact. And, you know, if that, and, and over the course of time, that plays out. You know, it's a it's it's a leadoff skill. He's on base 34, 35% of the time. And and history says he he will do that. Uh, I'm not counting on getting the best year that Nori Aoki has ever had. We're not counting on having the best year that Chris Ionetta will ever have, nor Adam Lind or Robbie Cano or Nelson Cruz. But their skill sets suggest that they can do these things consistently. And if they if they go out and perform to their skill set, like just the way they do, and they all do it in tandem, we, we, we should be able to string out a nine-man lineup that will always create traffic. And if we have traffic with Kyle Seeger and Robbie Cano and Nelson Cruz sitting in the middle of the lineup, we should score runs, in theory. Jerry, you, you've said that the mental side of the game is the next frontier. Could you expand on that and, and where Andy fits in with his message to the minor leaguers? You know, first and foremost, Andy's our farm director. Uh, he just happens to have a mental skills background, which I think is a great advantage, but not it won't define him as a farm director. Andy's a good baseball man, has had a long career as a coach, and uh, the fact that he understands the, the, the need or maybe the, the art of unlocking the player's mind. Uh, the, the, I could go on and on about Yogi Berra-isms or, you know, the, the game is, it, you know, the, the game is, it's a mental game. You know, the, the baseball grind of playing 162 games in 180 some odd days is, it, it beats you down and uh, it's a confidence game. It's why you see a closer, uh, one closer, Trevor Hoffman in the advanced stages of his career when he's throwing 84 miles an hour and go out there and baffle the opponent. If, if we watched a 22-year-old break into the big leagues throwing 84 miles an hour and talked about him pitching the ninth inning, it would be laughable. Uh, we wouldn't even consider it. But Trevor had developed so much mental toughness and, and, and the ability to, to go out there with a, with a confident approach, an air of, of belief in himself. That's important. You know, There's so much data in the game today 
we, we, we give our players so much to absorb that was not given to players of my generation. Uh, similarly, the generation that came before me was even less so. And uh, we, the game has changed a lot in what's available. We have to be able and willing to unlock the player's mind, to give him the capacity to absorb what we're going to throw at him. And, you know, it's a the, the belief. It's, it's putting players in a position to succeed. It's that they know when their time comes in the game, they're prepared. They're prepared. There's no shock. And, and that they believe in themselves. Uh, you know, I, I think that's the, the next great frontier is unlocking the mind. I'm watching it happen across the street in, in the NFL. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's become more and more prevalent throughout, you know, sport. Is, uh, it, it's, it's positive thinking about putting yourself in a, in a position to do positive things. And it's incumbent on us as a staff to create those positive opportunities. And, you know, but, you know, again, I, I do think while, while Andy's history is a mental skills uh, expert uh, of a sort is a great advantage that won't define who he is he's, he's a farm director and a baseball man first Jerry what are your expectations for spring training you have a large portion of your 25 man roster locked in what are you what are you expecting what kind of position battles can we see uh, I do think we'll see first you know to, to address the last part first Ryan the the positional battles you know we're gonna have a couple of spots in the bullpen uh, at least one maybe two that are that are going to be it's going to be a brawl with a with a handful of guys that that uh, really have a legitimate opportunity. Guys like Ryan Cook and Justin DeFreitas, uh, you know, that that can come in and compete with guys like Tony Zick. Vidal Nuno is going to factor into our 12-man pitching staff in in a positive way. I think there's going to be a great competition for the fifth spot in our in our starting rotation. The the fact that I think we have you know minimally six and perhaps up to to eight or nine legitimate candidates for uh, for the back of a major league rotation is uh, is is excellent. And the fact that our fifth or sixth starter may be physically as gifted as most people's two or three, I think that's exciting to me. There'll also be a competition for the right-hand partner for Adam Limp. You know, it starts with Jesus Montero, now includes Gabby Sanchez. We've talked about Stefan Romero as, a, as an internal uh, candidate for a role on our club uh, that could include some first base, some uh, take the load off of Adam, and it could also benefit from having a sixth outfielder who's capable in a number of spots. Uh, there's also the possibility that between now and, and the start of spring training that someone else might enter the fold. So. It's, uh, that is a, an open uh, layer of competition as well. Like you said, most of the, the club, you know, fingers crossed to, that they're healthy. It, it, the way you would expect it to lay out is the way we hope it lays out. You know, Mike is he obviously coming off of a tough year, and you know we've been very open. Chris Ionetta is going to be the catcher if all is, is right and he's healthy. But uh, you know, Mike comes in, and we're not we're not holding him back from accomplishing whatever he can accomplish. Our goal is that we have the opportunity to start him in Tacoma and watch his season develop. And you know, Mike went to the big leagues awfully quickly. And you know, to get to the big leagues and in, in under a thousand plate appearances is is a quick journey. To do it in under five hundred is a is a very quick journey. So. You know, again, like I had mentioned uh, earlier, I, I did a radio spot, and we were talking about Taiwan Walker. It's when you're watching a player progress, you, you need to remember how old he is, and, and you need to remember the levels he's played and the innings he's thrown. He's 23, and you know, at getting ready to play your 23-year-old season, 
you know, years ago, I'll, I'll cite a, a story from my past. We had, a, we had an outfielder in Arizona named Justin Upton who was 20 years old, and at times he was the best player on the field, and at times he could frustrate. And many, many times through the years, I said, let's remember that we've got guys on the field in A-ball who are three years older than Justin, who were excited about the potential, what they might do in the big leagues. Uh, similarly, I'll say with, with Mike Zanino, uh, and, and I'll say this about Taiwan Walker as well, is that you know, you'll go through ups and downs with young players as they try to transition into the big leagues, but it's, it is, it's paramount that we understand that we're here for that player. And I know Tommy, Andy, Jeff, they've all heard me say this. This season is going to be about what's best in the career development of Mike Zanino. And we are going to make sure that that happens. If, if Mike needs two months, if he needs four months, if he needs a season of, of AAA to cultivate uh, the offensive approach that we saw while he was at the University of Florida, we know it's in there. We, know, we saw it through the first half of his, his minor league journey. We've seen it periodically in the big leagues. Now we need to tap into that full time. And this goes for all of our front office staff. It goes for our, our, our performance team. It goes for our major league staff. And, and as importantly, it goes for his teammates. I, I know, you know one of the first things Chris Ionetta said after we signed him was, hey, can I get Mike Zanino's phone number? I'd like to reach out and just talk to him. Which to me is a remarkable show of, of care about the guy that's next to you. Who, who, quite frankly, is there to take your job. But Mike, we hope, Mike, to be a very big part of what we're doing, not only in 2016, but going forward. This season is going to be about what's best for him. Do you think it's more important for Mike with, with the mental side or the physical side of things right now? Oh, both. Both. Uh, I mean, I, if I were to, to, to have to pick a percentage, I don't know what percentage that is until I'm on top of it every day. But like with most other things, baseball, the, the mental is probably significantly higher on the scale of, of value than the physical. Players don't forget how to play. They don't forget how to swing a bat. Most, most difficulties you're going to have on the field are almost never about a mechanical flaw. You know, we can kid ourselves and say, oh, I, I detected a flaw. It's great. It's, it's usually something that's going on in the attic. And our, our job as a, as a staff is to give him as much support and as much you know, help in developing an approach as possible. And then you know, there might be that mechanical tweak that you can make that allows the hitter to get his foot down just a little bit earlier and be on time just a little bit more frequently. But more importantly, be a lot more confident in the batter's box and doing what you do. Jerry, what are your expectations for the club this season? Uh, high expectations. I have high expectations of any club I'm ever with. And I, I like playing in the postseason. I, I've had the opportunity to do it a handful of times in my life, and, and it's, a, it's a blast. I believe this club is as, as well-suited as anybody to compete in the West. Uh, it's a tough division. You know, the Astros are, are coming back, and uh, it's a very gifted young team with high upside. The Rangers are the defending champs, haven't made any significant off-season changes, but you know, it, the, the full season of Cole Hamels isn't going to hurt, and I'm sure at some point Hugh Darvish will return. Obviously, I've got experience over the last handful of years with the Angels, and, and I know what they're capable of. Uh, particularly the, the guy that pulls the sled in center field, and, and never undersell the Oakland A's. Uh, I think they've got one of the, the smartest groups of, of people in the league from the dugout to the front office, and they wind up putting good products on the field more often than not. So you know, our goal is to go out there. We, we, we'll start the, the season with the idea that we're going to get into the mid-'80s. We built the, the roster to, with the idea to get into the mid-'80s. And if you can get in that 85-86 win zone, and then let the chips fall where they may. Uh, it's, it, it's amazing how frequently you're going to wind up 
winning a lot more games than that. Uh, but it's all going to be about the culture that we develop. And, you know, we'll, we will make strategic mistakes. We will make, we will, we will have injuries. Every team does. Uh, but one thing we cannot do is we can't allow our culture to, 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 to rattle. And the players are going to know that we believe in them. They're gonna, we're going to put them in situations to succeed, and we're going to be genuine. And, and I think we have a lot of talent. Like I said a moment ago, we have, I think our starting pitching staff is as deep as anyone's in the division. Our lineup at one through nine is about as long as anyone's in the division. And, and honestly, the stars, the marquee players, we, we didn't do anything that was uh, terribly, you know, marquee value or, or, or the sexy offseason move. But when you've got Robbie Cano and Nelson Cruz and Kyle Seeger and Felix Hernandez, there's, there, there's some star value with that group. And, you know, we did, uh, we did a fair amount of lifting to create a group around them that we feel like can, can support what they do. Uh, but I don't think we'll be defined by one player. I do think we'll be a 25-man unit. And when we look up in, in September, we want to be playing meaningful games with a chance to, to, to go play for a playoff spot. That's, that's the goal. Uh, it, uh, and we're going to make forward progress. Gary, getting back to the rotation, do you think there's one spot open or two spots? I mean, you have the three veteran guys in Felix, Kuma, and Miley. Then you have all these younger kids. Do you have two spots or do you have one spot? We're going to take the best five pitchers we feel like can help us win a game. And, you know, right now going in, you, you have, you know, Taiwan Walker made great progress and at the last half and even the last two-thirds of last year, I think you started to see some of what he was capable of. And we want to see him take one of those jobs. Uh, similarly, James Paxton has shown that he's capable of being elite when he's out on the mound. Uh, we need to make sure he's out on the mound. There's a, that, that's a positive. Nate Carnes is coming off a really good year. Spent the full season in the big leagues and had a very nice season for the Rays last year. And, you know, one of the, I think, by if you take pitchers who threw at least 147 innings, uh, Nate Carnes was among the top 20 in American League ERA, and he was among the top half dozen in strikeouts per nine. And that's a, you know, those are feats. That's not, and particularly when you pitch your games in the American League East. And so, you know, it's it's nice. It's a nice problem to have to have six you know, now value major league starters with, with some stake on a job. And it's going to be nice to watch the competition. But uh, I'm not counting anything. We, I, it, I'd like to tell you it's one spot. I'd like to tell you it's, it's two max. History tells me don't, don't count on your chickens with the pitching. You never know who's going to show up and who's going to be healthy. I hope five of them are healthy enough to pitch to start the season. Your backup infielder, is there a premium on a guy that's better at shortstop out of that group? Or what are you looking for for that? Uh, the our extra infielder or one of our, our extra players has to be able to play shortstop. That that is the most critical need. Whatever they deliver offensively, uh, whether it's Chris Taylor, it's Luis Sardinas, uh, we do have internal candidates that we really like for that extra spot. Sean O'Malley. They all have shortstop ability, and that is the most critical critical part. The versatility will be nice. What they can give us with the off, the offensive from the offensive side will be nice. But the most critical element that they will provide us is that if 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 Marte is our everyday shortstop, as we hope he is, we need a shortstop to be able to spell him because it's we're not going to play him 162 games. Gary, yeah, you really overhauled your bullpen. Why why should the pieces that you have now work? How do they fit together? Uh, why not is, I guess, the question I would ask. But the, the first thing I would say is that Steve Ciszek, prior to last year, was one of the premier closers in the game for the previous two seasons. And 
you know, his 2014 season is on par with just about any anybody we could talk about as a as a premium free agent, and you know, it, it, there's no reason to expect him to return to that level, but there's no reason to expect that 2015 is is his new talent level. So, you know, Steve's still a young guy. He's he's still he's healthy. He's got his physical ability, and most importantly, he has a, a confidence level in who he is. Uh, and frankly, after what was a really rough start last year, he was able to get the train back on the track and, and posted a season that was definitely viable. Joaquin Benoit has been one of the best setup guys in the league for most of this decade. And uh, I think that is actually all of this decade and some of the decade before. But uh, Benoit has been at times dominant, mostly as consistent as, as anybody in the league. And, you know, though he's older, he hasn't wavered. His, his fastball velocity hasn't changed. The swing and miss rates on his changeup are as good as they've ever been. And uh, I know he's uh, he enjoys pitching the eighth inning. He's also posted a, a very usable, a functional, quality closer season for an ALCS team a couple of years ago with the Tigers. So I, Jack Benoit should be very good. Charlie Furbush has gone through the offseason. He's healthy. He's not contingent on just facing left-handers. He's, he's been good versus rights as well. And our belief is that a healthy Charlie Furbush gives us three legitimate and experienced back-end guys. Uh, really like what we saw out of Tony Zick at the end of last season. It's a power arm. And want to see what he can do over the course of a full spring to compete for one of these spots. And you know, very quietly, some of the things that we were, were able to do in building volume in the middle of the pen while we're looking for bounce back years from guys like Ryan Cook or Justin DeFreitas, uh, particularly, I don't think our season is contingent on those guys bouncing back. Uh, and obviously, it's going to be a, a crowded house in, in some regard. Uh, Evan Scribner is, is under the radar pretty good. He's better than you think he is. Uh, you know, I had a little bit of a problem with the homer ball last year, but he is, uh, he's about as good in terms of his ability to control the strike zone as any pitcher in baseball. And I think last year he joined Dennis Eckersley as one of only two pitchers in Major League history to have pitched in 60 games, 60 innings, and, and walk fewer than five hitters in a season while striking out at least one per, per inning. And it's a remarkable feat when you think about it. So, uh, you know, we feel like somewhere in the middle there lies the DeFreitas Cook Scribner group. And, you know, obviously Scribner has been, he's, he, he comes in healthy and as a strike thrower who, who does the things that we like to see. And you know, if we have one uprising, one bounce back season from a guy like Orion Cook or Justin DeFreitas to join that trio of back end guys I talked about with what we hope is a breakout for Tony Zick, uh, there's no reason that shouldn't work. And it's, uh, we, did, we did pack it with a little bit of volume so that in the event that one of the guys that we hope bounces back doesn't, there's, there, there are other options. And I, I think that's, uh, it's important to make sure that you've built enough depth to, to, to absorb the, the likely outcome, which is they're all not going to bounce back and have good seasons. But I say that I spent my entire major league career pitched 400-ish games in the, in the bullpen and never did anything else. If you think you got it figured out, you don't. Uh, the bullpen is about as unpredictable as, as it gets. And, you know, and from my experiences, we could go out and we could sign three all-star back-end bullpen guys. One's going to stink, one's going to be pretty good, and one's going to be what you thought they were. And you know, in this particular regard, if we have three bounce-back candidates, which I think we do, one's going to be better than we think, one's going to be about what we think, and one's going to struggle. 
That's the way the world works in the, in the world of balance. If they, if they all struggle, I would be shocked. You mentioned uh, for the bottom, I'll just say the bottom of the starting rotation. You got anywhere from four to five, maybe even six guys competing there. Do you feel in general good enough so that you could have maybe more open ears when, when your peers come calling looking for starting pitching? Do you feel good about your overall depth where you'd be a little more open about that? Uh, I'm, I, as it may have proven out already, I'm pretty open to, to picking up the phone and, and listening if somebody wants to talk. But uh, I'm also not shy about you know initiating the conversation. We do feel like we have some pitching depth. And uh, I think we, we legitimately have six guys competing for this starting rotation. And I, can, I, I even think you can start looking at, at the, the depth components on our 40-man on our roster. And, and that, too, has improved, I think, substantially. Uh, over the course of this this off season, and you know, on average, we're going to use about ten starters, ten and a half starters per season to get through. And and I feel like we can do that internally now, whereas maybe going into the off season, we didn't feel as comfortable. Uh, that was part of the reason why picking up guys like Joe Wheeland uh, was was important to us. And and you know, I look at our starting rotation and I see opportunity. I see opportunity to create depth. Uh, there are three, Walker, Paxton, and Carnes, who are competing for rotation spots who have options left. That's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, not, the worst thing in the world is not creating an opportunity for players to go in and compete and having enough space organizationally to, to produce depth. So uh, that remains a possibility, is that five of them are going to start in the big leagues and one is going to start in Tacoma. Uh, that's a possibility. It's also possible that, as Bob suggested with the bullpen, that we feel good enough about where we are, starters six through nine, that one of those guys may join our bullpen and could impact us in that way. And I mean, can you imagine having that kind of that, that kind of uh, arm heading into the to middle innings or setup innings of a bullpen? And you don't know what might happen with a guy's career. That's a uh, we we look now at the most dominant you know back end relievers in the game, and many of them started their careers as as starters. And you never know what could happen there. And that's. Uh, Pitching depth is always a good thing. There's never a time where I'm going to say, ah, we've got too much depth. You'll never hear that come out of my mouth on the pitching end. Do you, those three guys you just mentioned that have options, do you sit down with them before camp starts and say, look, there's, there's, a, ch there's a decent chance one of you might start the season with the I, I could sit down and tell them that. They know. They know. Uh, they, they know they have an option when they're coming to camp. They know they're, they're fighting it out for a spot. They know Felix is going to start on opening day if he's healthy. They know game two is probably going to be Hisashi Okuma if he's healthy. And they, they have a pretty good idea that Wade Miley is going to take his turn somewhere in there. But you know, it, it, there are some things that are unspoken. Th those players will know their circumstance. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to build a negative. You know, we're not going to talk to them with, oh, just so you know, someone might start in Tacoma. Right, we're, going to, we're going to promote the idea of going out and being competitive to win the opportunity to pitch in Seattle. Because for me to tell one of those guys that they may start in Tacoma is a defeatist uh, delivery before the season ever begins. Because what may wind up happening is that the, you know, the sixth man in that group may wind up going and affecting our bullpen in a positive way. So I, I don't want to predetermine what could happen. Because if they are one of our 12 best or most impactful pitchers and we feel like that's the way we should break camp, then that's what we'll do. Has anything changed with Mike Montgomery's role because you've added starting pitching? In the last few weeks, are you still going to start him as a starter there and then go from there, or is he going to go in as a reliever? Uh, Mike's coming to camp as a starter. You know, so we've got the six that we've talked about regularly, plus Mike, plus Joe Whelan. 
Uh, and we feel like that gives us legitimately seven deep. And you know, we, we have some other experienced candidates coming in as well, but uh, those seven guys will largely compete for the, the rotational spots. In Mike's case, he's out of options. And we, we don't have a lot of players that are option issues going into camp this year. The two most notable are Mike Montgomery and Jesus Montero. And you know, Mike will either be on our club uh, or he won't, it, like everybody else. And uh, he will come in as a starter. It's a lot easier to, to prep a guy to start and then back off to allow him to, to relieve if that's what the case may be. We're not going to be opposed to carry him in the bullpen. We will carry a second left-hander, whether that be Mike Montgomery, Vidal Nuno, or some other member. It could be Paul Fry. Uh, but we will, we will carry a second left-hander. Mike's going to get the opportunity to compete for that spot as well. But you know, as he comes in, the, the goal is that, that he win the fifth spot in that rotation. But I think he comes in knowing it's a little tougher road to climb because of the guys that stand in front of him. Do you, uh, do you expect Boot Powell to uh, push Leonis Martin in center? Going in At some point. <laughs> Not likely this year, uh, or at least not likely in, in March, April of this year. We acquired Leonis Martin to play center field. And, you know, Leonis, too, is out of options. We don't really consider him an option issue because we plan on him playing center field. And uh, he went down and had a terrific, you know, month-long run in, in the Dominican Winter League with Lisey. Uh, he's showing all the, the reasons why we went out and got him. Playing good defense, he can really throw, and he swung the bat. And he hit lefties. I think he hit 360 versus lefties through the course of his, his uh, foray through the Dominican round robin. And uh, I, Lise just got knocked out. But he, he had a, a terrific winner. Uh, very encouraged about where he is. We like what Boog brings to our future. And the, the versatility that he provides, the great likelihood is that Boog either makes our team as, a, as an extra outfielder or starts the season in Tacoma. And you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity for him to get his bats regularly. He started last season in double A. And, you know, for him to, to have made the progress he did, finished, played a half a season at triple A, comes into a new organization that values what he does, and we're going to give him a chance to do it. But, you know, Leonis will play center field if he's healthy. We'll take one last question. You're inviting Holtz into camp, but you know his situation is lost anyway. What, what can he expect in spring? What do you think of all right, I mean, honestly, if I if I had my druthers, Danny Holson comes in, blows us all the way. He winds up being the second lefty to join Charlie Furbush in a bullpen, and and the rest is history. Uh, Danny Holson's a terrific kid. He he's a terrific kid. He works his butt off. He's found himself on the the unfortunate side of injury on more than a couple of seasons. He is wildly talented. Uh, I believe we're going to come in. We're going to see the arm strength that he's always shown when he's healthy. We are going to see the pitchability and the, the acumen that he's shown when he's, when he's healthy. He is one I, I, I scouted Danny a lot uh, over the course of the years. He's one of the most talented amateur pitchers I ever watched. Uh, his, his ability to command the ball, his ability to create angles, and, you know, it, and it wasn't just making left-handers uncomfortable. He was one of the best starting pitcher prospects that, that's come out of college in the last 20 years. And it's unfortunate that, that you know, the situation ha has turned out to be what it has been. And I think it would be a crying shame if Danny Holton never pitches in the big leagues. And, uh, and I've told him that. I, 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 I'm rooting for him. I think everybody around the organization is rooting for him. He's going to be given every opportunity to come in and, and, and perform. As I understand it, he's not going to be behind. He's coming in ready to, to throw. And, and we're going to see how it goes. But we're open-minded. He's wildly talented, and if he can affect the Mariners in a positive way, uh, we want that to happen. All right. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks, guys.
Just a reminder, Jerry, along with every other speaker, will also be available for questions during lunch.